வணக்கம் நீங்க கேட்டுட்டு இருக்கிறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக்குறதுக
நம்ம கண்ணில் அவங்க நமக்கு எதிராக செயல்படுறவங்களா தெரிஞ்சாலும் இன்னொரு புறம் அவங்க துறையே அவங்கள சரியாக பார்த்துக்கிறது கிடையாது அதுவும் நம்ம காவல்துறையில் வந்து அவங்களுக்கு வீக்லி ஆஃப் இருக்கான்னு தெரியல எல்லாரும் ஆள்கள் சொல்லிக்கிட்டு ஒரு நாள் எடுத்துக்கிறாங்களோ என்னமோ காலையில் போனால் நடராத்திரி தான் வரணும் பன்னெண்டு மணி நேரமாக இருக்குது அந்த எட்டு மணி நேரம் ஷிஃப்ட்டுங்கிறது கிடையாது அப்படிலாம் அவங்க இருக்காங்கிறதும் நமக்கு தெரியல இவங்களுக்கு லீவுங்கிறதும் கிடையாது எந்த விடுமுறையும் கிடையாது நமக்கு நம்ம விடுமுறையில் வீட்டில் சந்தோஷமாக இருக்கணும்னா காவல்துறை அதிகாரிகள் வந்து அவங்க வீடை விட்டுட்டு ரோட்டில் வந்து நின்னாதான் நமக்கான பாதுகாப்பு கிடைக்குது இதுதான் நிலைமை ஆனால் அப்படி இருக்கும்போது அதிக பேரை பணிக்கு எடுத்து பணியில் நியமித்தாங்கன்னாக்கா அவங்களுக்கும் அந்த வார விடுமுறைங்கிறது கிடைக்கும் ஒரு நாளைக்கு எட்டு மணி நேரம் வேலை செஞ்சால் போதுங்கிற சூழ்நிலை வரும் ஆனால் இன்னும் அந்த சூழ்நிலை வரலை அந்த மாற்றங்கள் வந்து யார் கொண்டு வரணும் அவங்களாம் வரலை இன்றைக்கி அந்த மாற்றங்களுக்கு பொறுப்பாக இருக்கிற அந்த நாற்பத்தஞ்சிலேருந்து ஐம்பத்தஞ்சு அறுபது வயது உடைய அதிகாரிகள் யாருக்கும் அந்த எண்ணமே கிடையாது அப்படி இருந்தால் அவங்க அந்த மாற்றத்தை இந்நேரம் கொண்டு வந்திருப்பாங்க ஆட்சி அதிகாரத்தில் தேர்தல் மூலமாக வந்து உட்காரவங்களும் சரி பரிச்சை எழுதிட்டு அதிகாரியாக துறைக்குள்ளே வரவங்களும் சரி இந்த நாற்பத்தஞ்சு வயசுக்கு மேலே இருக்கிறவங்க தான் பெரும்பாலும் முடிவு எடுக்கிறாங்க அவங்க யாருமே அவங்க துறை சார்ந்த அதிகாரிகளுக்கு சாதகமாகவே முடிவு எடுக்கிறது இல்லை ஆனால் அப்போ இதுக்கு தீர்வு என்னென்னா இந்த நிகழ்ச்சியை கேட்டுக்கிட்டு இருக்க நீங்கள் நாளைக்கு அந்த ஆட்சி பொறுப்புலேயும் அந்த நிர்வாக பொறுப்புலேயும் போய் உட்காரும்போது எங்கே வேணாலும் சரி காவல்துறையாக தான் இருக்கணும்னு இல்லை நீங்கள் சட்டமன்ற உறுப்பினராகவோ பாராளுமன்ற உறுப்பினராகவோ கூட போய் உட்காரலாம் எப்படி வேணால் போகலாம் இல்லை இந்த துறைக்கே நாங்கள் வரலப்பா நான் படிச்சுட்டு நான் ஒரு கார்பரேட் கம்பெனியில் வேலைக்கு போகிறேன் அப்பையும் உங்களோட உங்கள் கூட வேலை பார்க்குற சக தொழிலாளிகள் இருப்பாங்க உங்களுக்கு கீழே வேலை பார்க்குறவங்க இருப்பாங்க உங்களுக்கு மேலே வேலை பார்க்குறவங்க இருப்பாங்க இவங்களுடைய நலன் உங்கள் பொறுப்பில் வரும் அப்போ நம்ம கூட வேலை பார்க்குறவங்களுடைய நலன் நம்ம பொறுப்பு அதுக்காக நம்ம என்ன வேணாலும் செய்யணும் அப்படிங்கிற எண்ணம் நமக்கு வரணும் அந்த எண்ணம் வந்தாலும் எப்படி பிரச்சனையை தீர்க்கிறதுங்கிறதுக்கான ஒரு கண்ணோட்டம் நமக்கு வேணும் அதுக்கு பிரச்சனை என்ன அப்படிங்கிறத புரிஞ்சுக்கணும் எப்போ பிரச்சனையை நம்ம புரிஞ்சுக்கிறது அப்படின்னா எது பிரச்சனை நமக்கு தெரிஞ்சால் மட்டும்தான் அதை நம்மளால் புரிஞ்சிக்கவே முடியும் அப்போ ஒரு ஏதாவது ஒரு எடுத்துக்காட்டு எடுத்து ஒப்பிட்டு பார்க்க வேண்டிய ஒரு சூழ்நிலை வருது அதுக்கு இன்றைக்கி நம்ம பேச போகிறது டோனி ஆங்கஸ் அப்படிங்கிற ஒரு ஆஸ்திரேலியாவை சேர்ந்த ஒருத்தர் அவர் வந்து ஆஸ்திரேலியா போலீஸ் துறையில் காவல்துறையில் நீண்ட நாள் பணி செஞ்சு அங்கேருந்து வந்து இன்றைக்கி காவல்துறை அதிகாரிகளுக்கும் சரி தனியார் நிறுவனங்களுக்கும் சரி பல்வேறு விதமான பயிற்சி அவர் எடுத்துக்கிட்டு இருக்கார் பாதுகாப்பு பயிற்சியிலேருந்து சட்ட ஒழுங்கு வந்து எப்படி பணி செய்யணும் எப்படி வேலை பார்க்கணும் அந்த ஸ்பெஷல் வெப்பன்ஸ் அண்ட் டாக்டிக்ஸ் அப்படின்லாம் ஆங்கிலத்தில் சொல்லுவாங்க எப்படி அந்த துப்பாக்கியெல்லாம் பயன்படுத்தணும் துப்பாக்கி இல்லாமல் எப்படி அவங்களுக்கு அந்த உடல் ரீதியான அந்த பாதுகாப்பு எப்படி ஒருத்தவங்க அடிக்க வந்தால் எப்படி தடுத்துக்கிறது இல்லை கடுமையான சூழ்நிலைகளை எப்படி சந்திக்கிறது இப்போ வந்து யாரோ ஒருத்தவங்களாக கடத்தி வச்சுக்கிட்டு பேரம் பேசுகிறாங்க அவங்களோட எப்படி பேரம் பேசுகிறது எப்படி வந்து பிணை கைதியாக இருக்கிறவங்களா எந்த பாதிப்பும் இல்லாமல் வெளியே கொண்டு வர்றது இந்த மாதிரியான பயிற்சி காவல்துறைக்கும் சரி தனியார் நிறுவனங்களுக்கும் சரி தனிநபர்களுக்கும் சரி டோனி ஆங்கஸ் வந்து வழங்கிக்கிட்டு இருக்கார் அதனால் நம்ம அவர்கிட்ட வந்து நம்ம பக்கம் காவல்துறையில் என்ன இருக்குங்கிறத சொல்லி அவங்க பக்கம் காவல்துறையில் என்ன இருக்குங்கிறத கொஞ்சம் கேட்டோம்னா ஒப்பிடுறதுக்கு ஒரு வசதியாக இருக்கும் வாங்க போய் பேசுவோம் Good morning, Tony. Uh, thanks for joining us on uh, our very podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, but without further delay, I would like to invite you to uh, introduce yourself. Thanks for having me here, Summer. So, um, my name is Tony Angus. I'm a former police officer here in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I also host my own podcast, Tony Angus Chat Time. And um, I now run a corporate training company, teaching people to manage conflict and aggression. So thanks for that. Uh, you know, let's jump into the conversation. Now, uh, th- in this episode, we would like to discuss uh, topics uh, related to, uh, you know, uh, 
creating or developing a career in uh, the law enforcement line uh, and mm. uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> i would like this conversation to be of help to our audience who some of them might be uh, interested in uh, having a career in uh, law enforcement now mm. uh, now i would like to begin with this uh, open ended question you know uh, what what are the key requirements for someone to uh, you know get a career uh, uh, or you know uh, prepare themselves for a career in law enforcement so yes well that is a very open ended question um i think the first thing obviously and this probably goes without saying but it'll kick off the conversation a person must have a very good sense of right and wrong and justice and um you know we were discussing um off air that there is a difference between law the legislation and justice <clears throat> and there are times when you know a, a law enforcement officer has to be able to choose what is just and what is right what is the right thing to do in that moment and even though it may be slightly different from the law um you know there's a requirement for example you you um you pull over somebody who is uh, has blown so in australia i don't know how the breathalyzer um tests work for alcohol in in india do you have yeah yeah we, we we have that it's 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 a small handy device and there's a disposable straw and we blow into that good what's what is the limit do you know uh i know i i do not know what the limit is okay so um in australia you're not allowed to blow more than 0.05 milliliters of um so basically 0.05 <clears throat> and um but if you imagine that i pull someone over and they blow 0.051 then technically according to the law they've committed an offence whereas i can use my discretion and say okay well let's wait 15 minutes you park your car stand over there in the in the fresh air for 15 minutes and we'll retest and let me see if the 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 reading comes up better for you and so it makes a it makes a difference um i think that a person needs to understand justice as well as legislation the other side of that is it's all very well to have legislation but it's got to be enacted in a way that's just so if i'm going to speak to i'm speaking to people sometimes they're people under stress sometimes they're people in great hardship <clears throat> and um you know if people are suffering from different things then they they're going to need to um uh, police officers will need to have some compassion so i think there are there are facets of law enforcement that perhaps people don't think of such as compassion empathy and an ability to to show some discretion thanks for that uh, you, you really uh, touched uh, the critical point that i wanted to discuss with you uh, you know uh, about a couple of years back uh, a, a an incident happened here uh, around where i live uh, in the southern state of tamil nadu uh, and uh, you know uh, the public went on a uh, peaceful protest 
uh, against uh, there was an environmental concern on the operation of a uh, copper smelting plant and then the public went on a peaceful protest demanding that the plant be shut down permanently because it's uh, disturbing the environment the groundwater and a lot of people were facing health issues as a consequence and that peaceful protest uh, you know turned out uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know became violent at some point at least that's what the law enforcement and the administration claimed and the law enforcement gave a shoot uh, shoot at site uh, uh, order and then that firing uh, took 13 lives out and you know one of them was a 17 year old girl uh, and uh, you know those who and, and you know there were some civilian casualties uh, people died who were not even part of that protest they were just going by that way and then because it was a large crowd and then there were so many other incidents where officers of the law were caught on video uh, not doing the right thing and one piece of it is that the law enforcement officer who opened the fire was not in uniform and nobody knows who that is and uh, uh, and for some reason that whole unit uh, you know is getting that kind of immunity to this day and the administration says well the top heads say i wasn't informed the local authorities used their discretion and the officers say we followed orders uh, but what happened was caught on video, multiple media sources, reliable ones caught it. Uh, you know, officers not in uniform opened fire using probably semi-automatic assault rifles, which is not quite usual to be done in that. And there were some procedures which we now realize weren't followed. But long story short, uh, you know, uh, the law wasn't implemented correctly. And the thing is, our own officers opened fire on us. And, uh, you know, we are still trying to get our head around it. And, uh, you know, there were some, uh, you know, the, the, so, so the public has lost a bit of trust on the law enforcement as such one after that incident. So there are two ways of looking at it. The, uh, the law enforcement agencies are saying, well, there were some miscreants and they were trying to burn things up. They were trying to break things up. They were building stones. We had no other option but to open fire. Uh, the public says, that wasn't the case. There were families with children participating in that peaceful protest and you shot into the crowd. And people who were not even part of the protest died as a consequence. Uh, and uh, so, so th this is the kind of situation now, uh, you know, uh, so there are officers in, uh, you know, younger officers who participated in that operation and they had to follow those orders. How, you know, if, if in moving forward, uh, the, you know, the younger people right now, you know, who are planning for a career in law enforcement, if they face such a situation, how do they handle it? Well, I think this is a, um, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. I, I think this is a, um, a really good example of uh, an understanding of using force that's gone wrong. The first thing we have to understand is that law enforcement is designed to protect people followed by property. And so if you have a crowd of people that are destroying property, then that is still, that still has to be looked at as a secondary problem to the saving of lives. So if a law enforcement is going and killing people in order to save property, then the first thing that is recognisable is that that's, that's, um, they've got that backwards. The second thing is that in any protest situation, there are levels of force that should be made available to members of the police force. 
So in most circumstances, you would have some sort of riot equipment, riot shields, uh, helmets, body armor. Uh, and then you would have other equipment such as batons, capsicum spray, uh, water cannons uh, in, in desperate times for large crowds. And you would have, of course, uh, um, a whole, uh, a large contingent of police officers there to hold back the line. So um, there are many things that we can turn to without having to turn to taking lives in order to defend property. Um, my sense is that government and any government installation, such as police, their primary objective has to be the life of its people. Then below that, the well-being of its people, and then below that, the property that helps the well-being of the people. So I understand that there would be businesses and stores that would be damaged. And if people are going on a riot, a rampage, then that has to be dealt with. But it's certainly counterproductive, counterintuitive, and it's counter to everything we stand for as a police force to take lives to, to, in order to protect property. Thanks for that. Now, uh, uh, you know, for, for, from the law enforcement side, there are quite a few incidents like this happening from time to time. And uh, what we hear, uh, uh, you know, as, as, as regular people, as part of the public, when we converse with the officers, uh, a lot of times they say, well, we receive, we follow orders. This is what we are being asked to do from the higher ups. Uh, and at that point, uh, you know, we do not know what to say because, you know, they stand in a position of power. They hold an authority. They represent the government. If, if an officer is going to do something that I don't find comfortable, I don't find it very pleasant, I can only request him as uh, a common man. But, you know, I, if I resist anything, that would be me obstructing a government servant, uh, you know, executing the duties of a government uh, agency. And, and that puts me on the wrong side of the law. Uh, but when I ask him, you know, why are you doing this? Then he says, well, it's an order from the top. So, you know, how, how, how do police officers handle this? You know, when there is an order from the top and that doesn't go well with the public, but then these officers are let, you know, speaking from the officer's side, uh, you know, they have to face the crowd, the heat with the public, uh, you know, while having to implement something that is clearly undesirable for the public. Yeah, that's a really tough situation. Um, in any um, bureaucracy like the police department, it's very top down. And so you work in a pyramid where you've got your workers just doing as they're told, and then it works up to the top. And then, of course, uh, the top of the police department would then be feeding into the government and, and working in a cooperative uh, way with the government. But so it, it boils down to what are the written policies and procedures of your of your police departments, and what oversight um, what oversight is provided so that um, do you if you have some form of internal investigation um, division, so most police departments around the world have internal investigators that that will investigate police. Now, unfortunately they are being investigated against what policy and procedure and legislation says. So sometimes we need to address policy and procedure and legislation in the first place. 
that certainly um, it's very difficult for a junior police member to say to his superior officer, I'm not going to carry out your orders. Um, I think there are, there, there are avenues, though. I do think that junior members can get together and approach management and say, you know, this hasn't worked. This has been a failed situation. And um, that will need to be addressed in the future because, you know, we, we as a group, we don't feel right about taking public lives like that. And, you know, psychology tells us it's terrible for the human being to take another person's life. So if you have young, immature, vulnerable minds joining the police force and they're told to take lives then you are damaging them psychologically. And we need to be aware of that. Something you said earlier, um, and this is the biggest issue, the police department must have trust. It is a community organisation. The police department is designed to work with and for the community. That's what it's for. Its purpose is to serve and to protect. So if we take those two things away and we're no longer operating in order to serve and to protect, then you don't have any bond with the community. And when there's no bond with the community, you don't have trust. And when there's no trust, you then get the public simply won't do as the police officers are uh, uh, advising them. They will look elsewhere. They will form vigilante mobs. Crime rates go up, etc. So it's, it's vital that we, as police officers, exist to serve and protect first so that we create that bond, we create that trust. And then, um, you know, once there's trust, then people turn to the police. The other thing is that, it, uh, that allows for police to occasionally make mistakes because police are human. But, but you can't have it endemic in the actual system. If there's a systemic problem, that must be dealt with. And that's the incident you described sounds like a problem within the system. Sure, thanks, sir. You, 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 you did bring this conversation to a, a very interesting part, you know, the, the idea of systemic problem uh, causing such uh, issues. Now, my conversations with police officers uh, tells me that, uh, you know, and I would like to get your comparative assessment of the situation uh, with, you know, the Australian police versus uh, the Tamil Nadu police here, uh, and uh, the thing is, they do not have any public holidays here, so they are pretty much expected to be uh, live and working uh, throughout the year, including weekends, and uh, they do not have a weekly off, and they do not have a very specified shift time, so they, it's kind of a 12-hour schedule on a daily basis, so they go 9 a.m. in the morning, uh, in the morning uh, if they're back home somewhere around 10 p.m., then they're back in the police station around 9 a.m. again, and it's pretty much on. And uh, and a lot of these officers, you know, during public holidays, when a lot of people venture out of the home, uh, you know, a lot of police officers are deployed in the city at different places. So, you know, even during public holidays, they have to sacrifice their family time and they have to step out on the street and serve. Uh, so that is a given there. But then, uh, right now, the police officers, they do not have this concept of eight or uh, nine hour schedule. 
and they have to pretty much uh, work 12 14 hours a day and they do not have holidays how is the australian police compared to this situation uh so that's nothing like what we have um so australian police officers work a 40 hour week uh, the rest of the australian um work week um other public officials work 36 hours per week um the australia the police department um allows for police officers to work either 5 8 hour shifts in a in a week or you can work 4 10 hour shifts um or you can work 3 12 hour shifts we also are allowed to but but the 3 12 hour shifts have different a different set of uh annual leave and days off so different policies around that we can also work part time so um many of my colleagues were choosing to work two or three days a week because they had families and they just wanted to go part time so they they allow us to do that um we if you're working 40 hour week instead of 36 then the government allows for police to make up that time by having instead of four weeks annual leave so uh, in the public sector a person has a four week annual leave that's that's given so te- um so not teachers teachers have a bit more but that's because of other arrangements but uh, people who work in offices and uh, you know accountants and all of that if they work somewhere you're typically given a 4 hour a 4 week holiday every year paid fully paid with police members that goes to 9 weeks holiday because police are required to work um public holidays they they do a 40 hour week instead of 36 and they're required to work shift work and so those things mean that uh we simply bundle up those times that they that they've worked more than the public and we give officers the right to take them in terms of annual leave mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah but, yeah but uh, that yeah, makes so that, sense yeah so i didn't um i didn't ever work more than I mean there is there's overtime obviously and if you're in the middle of a job and it has to go over then you take overtime but my shifts in my entire police career were 5 um averaged out at 40 hours a week 5 8 hour days and um so I'd be working either uh morning shift which was 7 to 3 afternoon 3 to 11 or night shift 11 to 7 and so you can work one of those shifts If you're working night shift we would do five shifts of those five days or uh, five nights in a row and then you would work uh, an afternoon shift to get you back into daylight hours and then you would work a couple of day shifts and then you would have some days off to recover um so you know this they uh, the police department looked after us quite nicely mm-hmm. sure uh, uh, that 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 tells me that uh, the australian police force has Uh, evolved a lot over time and it's now uh, very very professionally managed keeping in mind the welfare of the officers uh, because that is directly connected to the welfare of the people they are uh, working to serve uh, and it, it makes sense and the police service here is working towards reaching that stage there are uh, 
are you know thousands of vacancies to be filled and they are heavily understaffed as of now and that is also one of the reasons driving uh, this continuous no weekly off kind of a situation uh, but uh, the, the other part uh, i want to discuss is the comparative assessment uh, when it comes to training so when i speak with police officers who have just retired uh, or who are in their 50s so they joined the service many years ago uh, they say they had to go through a one year training program before they were deployed uh, uh, in a particular police station in, in any uh, division of the police force but these days they say the training time has come down from one year to six months so what uh, you know uh, uh, what, what is the australian police force style of training the officers and how has it changed over time okay so um just to be clear i worked for victoria police so um the city of melbourne exists in the state of victoria um and there are seven states in australia each of which has its own police department um and in australia the australian federal police looks after you know federal matters anything that is multi-jurisdictional or overseas matters but uh, so i worked for victoria police and um victoria police our academy you went and lived at the academy for 31 weeks and then following that you do a two-year on-the-job apprenticeship so you're called a trainee so um you're you're essentially um you know in the movies they would call them a rookie um but you are a recruit at the academy and you you wear a recruit's uniform and it says recruit on it and then um when you join uh, after your 31 weeks you graduate and then you go to a police station um, where you are further taught by police members as a trainee you're mentored by sergeants and then once every six months you go back to the academy for two weeks to be um upskilled in all of the different aspects of policing so there'd be tests and examples and things like that so it's a comprehensive program and it's working quite well mm -hmm. i think one of the issues you described a minute ago there's a vicious cycle happening in india i would suggest that the police members are overworked currently and so because they're overworked they're probably poorly behaved and when they're poorly behaved you lose contact with the public and now you don't want anybody to now people don't want to join the police force and so police are overworked and so they're overworked and badly behaved and nobody wants to join and they're overworked and so there's this cycle taking place in india that needs to be broken um getting a good reputation is part of it and i was very lucky that i was a member of a police department that had a very very good reputation uh, australia wide and uh, internationally mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, totally agree that the police officers are uh, heavily overworked and they are in a constant state of stress uh, in, in in so many ways now, the other issue that we as public are aware uh, are that you know when you know there is this uh, uh, practice of providing housing uh, and uh, officer support to the senior members of the police department like you know commissioner and above uh, and uh, uh, and they are high ranking officials and 
you know uh, they either live in their own home and or they they get the support for housing and they are usually deployed with uh, a department's vehicle that comes along with the police officer driver and then two other sentries guards at their home so there are about two three officers usually deployed at their home to support that officer and as it turns out over time that number of officers working at high ranking officials residence has gone up uh, and in some cases what we hear is that if the police station has on record about 50 60 officers uh, only 20 30 of them show up at the station the rest are all deployed at high ranking officials and uh, in some cases they are still continuing to work in those with at those officials residences even after they have retired and so it's 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 kind of a uh, colonial time practice which is still happening on trickle down effects of uh, what used to be the case uh, before we got independence uh, but then that piece is there so uh, you know the officer who's in charge of handling the attendance at the station uh, you know we hear that uh, hey there are some officers who are on the roll but i have never seen them i have never spoken with them i just have to say they are present because i know they are deployed at some other officers residences so this whole and, and and these officers are actually these are younger officers who are very fresh to the service and they are deployed on a rather a menial task you know go by vegetables take the dog for a walk and, and and it's really disturbing to see trained law enforcement units working on our tax money uh, doing odd jobs at the residences of higher officials uh, you know so does this happen anywhere in australia what is your view of this um no it doesn't happen anywhere in anywhere any police department in australia uh i think it's ludicrous uh if i can say that openly and honestly um there are plenty of people that you can appoint to walk the dog and to go and fetch groceries i understand that high level government officials such as our prime minister here in australia need to have um uh we wouldn't we would call them close personal protection but the equivalent of secret service you know that you might have seen in movies um and they would have they would have bodyguards and i get that because they are at risk of um i guess public violence they're at risk of terrorism and etc but no police official has anybody they don't have drivers and uh, normally they don't get a car and they certainly don't have a house they buy their own they're paid very well but it's like any organization where uh the the top people get paid more and the bottom people get paid less that's like anywhere uh but they buy their own homes and they buy their own vehicles and occasionally the uh we call them brass because of what they wear on their shoulders occasionally the brass will I'd be allowed to take a car from the uh station pool but they're not given a car and they're not given a house and um you know no none of that happens they're basically employed um uh, as got the the high ranking officials are are government employed and they oversee but, but they're given nothing they're other than a, a wage to do what they're told to do and they're under a lot of pressure so that they earn their money but every police officer that signs up and goes through the academy is sent to a general duties police station 
and they are put on the roster to drive around the, the or do foot patrol. That's where they're sent. They're sent to places where we need bodies. So uh, we would have 17,500 police members, operational members in Victoria. So possibly 18,000 now. And 18,000 of those members would be deployed in some operational sense, whether that's um, in a squad, so that includes your de detectives, or whether that's in the dog squad or the mounted branch or the um, highway patrol or general duties at a police station, but they're all interacting with the public and they're all doing something in an operational sense. We also then have administrative people. We call them unsworn members. So there are sworn police officers and unsworn members and the unsworn members assist at police stations by doing a lot of the administrative. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the administrative part, which you just mentioned, that's another interesting area. So uh, he, here's what we understand from our conversations with the officers here. So when, let's say, a police officer catches someone committing an act of crime, so they take them to the station uh, and then they file a case against them, uh, they hold them in custody, and then uh, the next day or the same day, if possible, they take them and they produce them in court. Uh, where the public prosecutor would present the case in front of the judge and uh, then the judiciary takes uh, over. Uh, so th this whole process of, you know, arresting a person, holding them in the police station cell, uh, you know, for a day or two, and then getting the documentation done, uh, and then uh, taking the suspect uh, and presenting them at the court, uh, working with the government uh, uh, lawyer there, the public prosecutor, as they call uh, them here, uh, you know, this whole there is this administrative overhead which is not really taken care of. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not entirely sure if they have a dedicated budget, but what the officers say is hey, when we hold someone in the station, we are responsible to feed them, and we don't have that kind of budget. And uh, that, and then now we are entering this uh, disturbing area called corruption, a systemized corruption where even the public prosecutor is going to ask for money to present this case. So there are so many officers waiting to present suspects in the court and the public prosecutor demands some, some money. And then this officer is already responsible for feeding this suspect and having, safe, having him safely in the station for two days. And naturally they are forced to demand money from the suspect. And that becomes a deal-making mechanism where the suspect says, hey, how much do you want? I can pay that. And, uh, you know, just file the case wrongly so that it gets a clean dismissal at court. Uh, and this is happening systematically. There are some, uh, you know, uh, who have fallen in line. There are some who are resi resisting it. But then their thing is, we don't have a choice. We need to take care of them, but we do not have a budget. Now, that's um, <clears throat> nothing like what we do. So the first part of what you were describing is what happens here. Um, we break it down into two levels of uh, offence. If a person commits a minor offence, then we don't keep them in the station. We interview them and we send them on their way and um, with a, what's called a summons to appear in court at a later stage. Uh, and we'll simply um, prepare their paperwork, their briefs. That goes off to the Office of um, uh, Prosecutions. 
and then they will book a court date. And once that court date is, uh, the brief of evidence has to be typed up by the police officer and the admin team. And then that goes to the sergeant for approval and the senior sergeant for stamping. And then that goes to prosecutions and they book a court date. And once the court date is booked, then they'll summons um, the, uh, the offender to the court on that date. If it's a more ser a serious matter, then you've got two processes. They will either bail them, and a bail uh, notice means that we're going to let you go, but you have to either report to the police station every day to let us know you're, you're not leaving the country or something weird. We, we shut their passport down and all that so they can't do a runner. But, um, um, but there's also a remand ability for people who have done very, very serious offences, murder, etc., and they get remanded in custody. And quite often that'll be for weeks on end, months maybe, until their court case. If they're found guilty, then the remand part is taken off their sentence. So if they've been remanded for six months, then they're found guilty and given 20 years prison, that'll be 20 years minus six months because they've done six months already. Um, and they're fed and, and uh, housed and all of that in a remand centre, which is like a temporary prison. But for, for most people, you are summonsed, you're let go and summonsed later, or you're bailed uh, to return to court later. Um, the prosecution's department in Victoria Police are part of Victoria Police. So they are like any, they are like any police member, they get paid by the police department to do their job. So if I'm a uh, sergeant in a police station or a sergeant in prosecutions, I get the same pay. We're just doing our jobs and nobody takes any uh, money. And there's certainly... Uh, the, the suspect would not be dipping into his own pockets in order to to pay for any of that. Not at all. It's not his, it's not yeah. required of him. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the government uh, mm -hmm. budget. Mm -hmm. Sure. Thanks for that. Uh, now, now, now we have touched on this topic of corruption. Now, here's my personal experience. Happened many years ago. Uh, I had just got my two-wheeler driving license. Uh, I, I borrowed my uncle's motorcycle and I am happily driving, you know, I'm, you know that, you know, I, I was legally now allowed. And then uh, until then, I used to uh, go as a pillion rider on my friend's bikes. Uh, and uh, I, I, I went home, uh, I went out and I was returning home uh, and I was coming through a different route. And, you know, it's, it's a small street that kind of uh, joined a major road uh, through, you know, I had to cross that road and go beyond. But I stopped at that junction uh, because I thought something was weird that, that you know, it, it was a four-way junction, intersection, and then there were signal lights in front of me. There were lights looking towards the left, uh, right, and to the other way, but there was no set of lights looking towards me. I realized that, okay, this I, I cannot go further in this direction. I probably came in a one-way. Now, anything beyond this would be a violation of the law. I stopped my bike. So I thought, okay, let me turn back, go through that, and then come the other way around, uh, and then go there. 
But before I could turn back, uh, an officer just approached me from my side. He kind of took my bike's key and he said, park aside, we need to talk. And uh, I, I, I followed his instructions. I parked my bike aside and, and then I walked up to him and he said, what are you going here? I said, no, I wasn't going there. I realized that there is no signal light looking at me and you know anything beyond this is uh, a one-way traffic and I, I shouldn't go. That's why I was about to do the U-turn. Uh, and uh, he said, no, you have already come this way. You need to be booked. And I was trying to defend myself saying, I did not know this. If I had known this, I wouldn't have come this way. I was anyway still in the street. I wasn't on the road uh, uh, at that point. Uh, at least from my side, I hadn't done, I, I hadn't violated a law. Uh, but while we were talking, a lot of people were just driving past us, <laughs> uh, two-wheelers, four-wheelers. They, they were just breaking the law like that. Uh, and, he, and here is here we are having this conversation where I'm trying to defend my action of not going beyond that point. I, I thought something is suspicious. I shouldn't do it. I stopped and still I'm getting pulled over. Uh, and uh, he brought that discussion to a negotiation. He said, gentleman's agreement, 50 rupees. I had to part away with my 50 rupees so he would let me go. How does this happen in the Australian uh, police department? Um, I mean, it's, it's flat out bribery and uh, an officer would be charged for that. If there was any suggestion that um, uh, there, were bri there was bribery taking place, that officer would be charged and dismissed. So we were not allowed to take any money. Uh, we're not allowed to take any gifts. So even if you help someone out, even if I did the right thing, if I, I, if I got someone's cat out down from a tree and they offered me a, um, you know, a reward for that, here's a bottle of wine, I'm not allowed to take it. And most, and most of the time, the only time you would ever accept anything is if you go to speak to someone in their home and they say, would you like a cup of tea while we're talking, then you might have a cup of tea nobody's going to consider that a bribe, but um, you would never take money. Um, and if you do, you're in serious trouble. So um, I'm not going to say no member has ever taken money, but we don't ask like that. Um, there have been police officers charged with, uh, you know, doing silly things over the years, but that's just too blatant. Nobody would do that here. Uh, taking money out of somebody's wallet, even asking, nobody's going to do that here. Um, the other thing to bear in mind is, of course, that everybody has a mobile phone now. And a lot of our conversations are recorded where people are going, okay, and I'm recording our conversation. And so police officers are under a lot of pressure now to be very professional. And most police officers will carry a digital voice recorder in their pocket uh, and, and possibly a camera. And so any, any incident is recorded now. And so this, a lot of that corruption has just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't reached that stage of body-worn cameras yet. But I think uh, the incidents in the past is warranting that situation. We hopefully, uh, we hope, uh, you know, the government finds a budget for, to implement that, you know, that body-worn cameras can really bring down a lot of, uh, you know, mishaps, uh, you know, it can, it can prevent a lot of incidents uh, from even happening in the first place, uh, irrespective of who uh, who's wrong it is. Uh, but then, uh, you know, uh, th there are these situations now, again, talking from the side of the police officers, 
uh, a lot of times they face internal heat such that uh, depending on the station they are deployed in depending on the mindset of their colleagues they only have uh, one choice like fall in line or just go to some other division and so here we have what we call law and order traffic and crime and that kind of divisions within the police and then there is this control room division which is essentially the communications department within the police service and so if someone is deployed in law and order and in a police station then they directly interact with people so all these roles which directly interact with people do have an opportunity to take money from uh, the public uh, bribe uh, in this case and you know one incident to quote is me and my friend uh, at that time i did not have a license uh, and we went on a bike and then morning time the police officers they were waiting there the beat they were letting all the vehicles go but they kind of pulled us aside and then they were uh, he my friend had all the paperwork uh, for the vehicle and still uh, they were uh, say they were saying something and my friend was the one who was having the conversation and he was trying to say hey we are going on this it's really urgent we need to go to this place and the officer straight up said hey i have 100 cases to book against you are you paying 2000 or 200 we had to do that and then get away and this is pretty much normal we are now used to this the problem is we have officers voluntarily requesting a transfer to the control room department simply because that is a place where they never face public in person and so there is no opportunity to actually bribe and as a consequence there is no pressure on them to actually fall in line uh, and then uh, take bribe simply because the others are also doing uh, how, you know how, how do how, how is that in australia well as i said earlier there, there's no bribery like that uh, even possible or available i, I don't i don't know of any cases of bribery anymore i mean it's uh, that's a long time ago um we have a control room it's called um well we have a control room so radio operators that's where people ring in if you're dialing in australia uh everybody knows in america it's 911 in australia we dial triple zero so 000 and um if you're working in at that division then you're you're taking radio calls and dispatching units to different jobs but um you know it's not all that popular because police here like to be on the road they like to be um dealing with the public and they like to be investigating and they like all of that so you know um it's very different it's mm-hmm. very different I, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we have the same crimes divisions and all of those other things but mm-hmm. uh, not too many people would want unless they're just sick of being on the road or maybe they're injured you know and uh, they go into work at the um the call center <clears throat> but other than that no it's not something that's very attractive to police officers police officers want to they want to catch crooks you know that that's the whole idea we want to stop crime and you join the police department in order to stop crime but nobody joined in order just to harass young kids on motorbikes you know you you are hoping for bigger things and so a lot of the time we will let people off with just warnings you know so the situation you talked about where you went down a wrong way street or you were accused of anyway here if you were a decent person and you said i realized i ended up here and i didn't mean to so i was going to go back and do the right thing 
most police officers are going to say, all right, we'll be more careful. Be more careful next time. See you later. So, you know, there's a matter of pride for police officers as well. You want to be proud of the job you're doing, taking money from people who have ridden the wrong way on a one-way street. That's not anything to be proud of. And um, it's a real shame that that's come down to that. And officers need to take more pride in themselves and more pride in their job and more pride in the uniform. Um, and that only comes from doing really good work. Mm-hmm. Go out and be a member of a community. Go out and solve good crime. Go out and stop crime. You know, and the people who are speeding are dangerous. They have to be pulled over. People talking along, driving while they're talking on their mobile phone. That has to stop because they can cause traffic accidents and kill people. So that's good work. No problem at all. We've got to stop thefts. We've got to stop burglaries. We've got to stop assaults. We've got to attend to domestic violence uh, situations and help those people through those. And occasionally we have to arrest people for doing dumb stuff. But kids on bikes, it's just nothing to be proud of. And, uh, you know, if you're wearing a uniform, you should be proud of yourself and proud of the work you do. And I think that's one of the things that has to come through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally agreed that. The other issue with the police service here is uh, the impact of bureaucracy and, uh, you know, the the political side of things, what the elected officials end up imposing on the police officers. So in some cases, you know, there's, uh, you know, two gangs uh, ending up in fist fight, they're causing public nuisance, and then the police arrive there, they arrest both the groups, and then they take them to the station. And then uh, each one of them starts boasting, I know this official, I know this person in this time, I know this, I, I, I'm the relative of this particular elected official, this legislator. Uh, and, uh, and by that time, there are so, so many phone calls coming to that station asking specific people to leave. So as long as the suspects are either related to or have a friend in the legislator or high ranking official, they are let go. The rest have to face the law. Uh, no, well, again, uh, that's corruption. Um, and in Australia, anybody that uh, dropped a name like that, let's say I'm uh, my, I get picked up, and my uncle is a member of parliament. If I drop his name and and I get out of trouble because of that, then the media would be all over him, and the police would be all over him the officers that let me go would be probably sanctioned or, or fired and he would be sanctioned for allowing his nephew to get off charges. So there's none of that available here. We just can't have, that system doesn't run here. So um, if you get picked up doing, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be the prime minister's son. You will go to prison if you are, charged with and found guilty of certain offences. So it just doesn't matter who you are. In Australia, it doesn't matter who you are. You do the wrong thing, you get caught, you go to jail. Mm-hmm. So there's none of that corruption. Mm-hmm. It's not even available. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, it, it, thanks for that. Now, again, coming back to this, uh, you know, so this is the atmosphere where the police officers here are actually working to protect us. That's where I'm headed. So, you know, uh, you know, there are so many cases where I faced the wrong side of the police service, but there are so many cases 
where police officers helped me out uh, and you know they did not demand money from me so there there, there are always officers there so there's always a good cool. fruit bad fruit it's it's a basket but uh, the thing is this is the kind of situation they have to uh, really operate in but of late this incidents of police excess is catching up because maybe uh, largely because there are now multiple media sources who are covering that we previously did not have so many media options uh, and you know one incident was this case where uh, apparently uh, the senior member of a police station had a, a verbal duel with a shopkeeper and his son the previous day and the next day they were probably being booked for a minor violation something like having the shop open beyond a certain point in time because it was corona lockdown and so on and uh, the father and son uh, the father was taken to the station for an inquiry on that on a minor violation and the son soon uh, reached that to check out check up uh, on his father so the father and son were held in custody uh, and uh, they were beaten to death uh, and you know I, I, as it turns out what happened was they were beaten like they were stripped naked and they were uh, you know beaten with the stick uh, or the baton that the police officers would have uh, on their backside and because we now know we have seen the visuals of the dead body on media so they, it was heavily wounded and then they their condition went serious and they tried to take them to jail the same night and they kind of convinced the doctors to give a certificate that they were okay to be put in prison but the doctor one of them did the right thing and mentioned all the injuries present when they inspected them uh, and as it turns out the next day both the, both the suspects they were declared dead in hospital and and it it became a very big issue this uh, uh, issue of custodial death is catching our attention right now and uh, you know how, how does the australian police handle situations like this well <clears throat> for a start we um seeking retribution because you have an argument with a shopkeeper coming back the next day to charge him for something small just because you had an argument with him is pretty pathetic uh and and again that's nothing to be proud of and so you probably wouldn't get an officer doing that here um we take pride in our work and pride in our job and you know, there are obviously police officers who do the wrong thing and operate by their own ego but if you're a young my my recommendation my suggestion is if you're a young person trying to become a police officer then learn to control your ego learn to manage your ego so you don't get into those fights professionalism is high you have to you have to value your own um dignity you have to value your own dignity and it's beneath your dignity to end up in a silly argument with a shopkeeper over something small and then try and exact some retribution on him the next day um so that that's not something to be proud of then we don't use force we're not allowed to use force on anybody everything everything we do is monitored and and recorded and so you are accountable for all your actions so there's no such thing as beating prisoners is um you know that that doesn't happen so the only time uh we would ever use force on a prisoner even in a person who's been put in custody overnight the only time that would happen is if they that prisoner attacked an officer so you know then they would defend themselves but 
You know, it's just not going to happen where police officers can go in there and just beat on uh, prisoners, especially for small offences. So you're talking about a minor offence that uh, they, by the way, um, in our legislation, a police officer has a right to intervene only if a crime has been uh, made, if there's been an offence. But if a shopkeeper opens longer than their trading hours allow, that's not for the police. That's a whole different thing. That's outside. It's not a crime. It's a breach. And so police wouldn't, do, wouldn't even deal with it. That would be an inspector from uh, trade practices or someone, someone different. It's just not a police matter. So there are civil matters, civil matters that police don't get involved in. Where police here are only involved in crime, criminal legislation. And the criminal code is narrowly refined to certain situations. And, and that wouldn't, that shopkeeper incident wouldn't fall into one. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, thanks for that. Uh, well, we, we sincerely hope uh, such incidents do not uh, happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the, the thing is, these custodial deaths have been happening all along, but this one particular incident brought that whole issue to our notice. And right now we are quite serious about it. Uh, I'm trying to recall uh, the next question that I was about to ask. That's all right. Let, let, me, yeah. let me make this comment. Just allow me to make this comment. When police officers here, the police service here, wants to recruit people who have lived a little bit first, have some life experience. Because there's a difference between if you go, you're raised by your parents, they tell you what to do. You go to school, your teachers tell you what to do. You go to university, you're told what to do. Then you become a police officer and all you know is tell or be told. It doesn't work that way. There's a lot of negotiation. There's a lot of cooperation that takes place. It cannot just be te tell or be told relationships. So we must cooperate and communicate, sometimes compromise with members of the public. And so a police officer needs to learn to be able to do that. And occasionally that means putting your hands up and going, okay, and walking away. Um, that doesn't make us weak. It means we choose our battles. And, and if we have to go in, we go in hard. Of course, you know, it's like a street fight. If I'm down at a pub or I'm at a restaurant and somebody becomes angry, I'm going to do everything in my power to calm that person down. I'm going to communicate. And only when it becomes completely obvious that they are going to be violent will I then choose force as an option? And that's, that needs to be the case. You can't just use force as, it's, as if it's an equal thing to everything else. It's not. So force is used only when it's a last resort. And once officers realise that that's the case and that they should use their communication and they should learn to cooperate and negotiate, once officers realise that, and they realize they're part of a community, then the force should drop away 
and only be used under very rare circumstances. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we sincerely hope uh, you know there are more officials thinking uh, this way here, uh, and we truly believe they are. But then their number is not so high since we don't see the differences uh, uh, out in the open. Uh, but the other piece is you know there have been instances of you know some uh, rather uh, uh, you know publicly visible officers who are now retired who have served some really high positions and handled some. A nationwide sensitive cases and after retirement uh, on video they are coming and saying you know when they talk about this they are not in service uh, and they're just regular people and they say well i was the one who who handled that whole charge sheet uh, you know i prepared that documentation and my superior asked me to write this such a way that all the suspects got convicted we knew some of them were innocent but if we did not do that the actual perpetrators would have walked out and we didn't want that to happen. And I followed orders. And as a result, innocent people were also jailed along with the actual perpetrators. And he's saying that after his retirement, probably because his conscience was, uh, conscience was killing him. <laughs> and at least we are just happy that at least at that point, like at the ripe age old of 60, 70, he decides to do the right thing. And he comes out and says what uh, wrong he did. But then uh, it's not providing a solution. He's not in service. He's not liable for that anymore. Uh, uh, you know, how, how do officers handle this situation where they are being told to do the wrong thing? Uh, well, I think that there's a problem, again, it's a systemic problem, that there's a philosophy that's wrong here. The philosophy here in this country would be it's better to have someone innocent go free. So we would rather, how do I say this? We want to protect the innocent more than we want to jail the guilty so if there are five people and we know that four of them are guilty and one of them is innocent we will let all five go rather than put someone in jail who is innocent now most times whoever was guilty we'll pick them up later they'll get picked up for doing something else because criminals will be criminals they're going to do something bad again and we'll pick them up later. But the thing we've got to do is look back at the philosophy is to protect and serve the public and locking up innocent people in order to get somebody who's guilty. It goes against that. So the philosophy that you behind your policing needs to be right. Otherwise there's going to be corruption and there's going to be bribery and there's going to be violence that's because the system is uh, needs to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. Sure, and, and in this case, it's not just you know just to make uh, this discussion fair. It is not just the public suffering at the hands of the police. It is police officers suffering at the hands of police. There are so many instances where one officer, uh, you know, maybe uh, it could be a simple case of insubordination, defying orders from the top. Uh, uh, probably to do the right thing or it could just be officer versus officer situation and simply because the junior officer refused to follow the orders of the senior officer the senior officer and some of the fellow junior officers gang up against their own colleague and then a false case is filed and then he's terminated from service or he's suspended and then he kind of over time you know loses eligibility for promotion uh, the pay raises and so on and then that case actually goes up to court and this situation of 
you know service matters going up to court where police officers are acting against police officers police officers are uh, arguing or demanding proper reasoning for their termination uh, and then the cases identify that it was a wrongful uh, conviction uh, or a you know uh, incorrect thing that happened again simply because this officer he probably shouted back at his superior he probably disobeyed the superior he could have done something wrong be it morally or legally but then police officers acting against police officers is becoming a situation so you know we, we you certainly need an avenue to be able to say to your superiors i don't think that's right but you also need to have a command structure so there has to be a rank structure so as a junior member i should not be shouting at my senior member if i think something's wrong i'm going to note it and ask them to note it if it continues i might go over their head and ask to see his superior officer but shouting matches are not productive and so none of that is productive that's just not the way to go about it i think um it boils down a lot of it boils down to training that we were trained differently and when i run my training programs now for organizations different i work with corrections and uh youth prisons and those sorts of things now and i teach them how to understand force how to understand communication and and that, that sort of approach rank structure um how to understand all of that if you get the philosophy right then you can do the rest the rest will fall into place but it sounds like there's some um, ideas there that are uh, misaligned mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. clearly clearly so you know we are living in uh, uh, in a time where we are now in the middle of acknowledging problems as problems you know i i think that is the first step to any solution to materialize so you know the positive thing is we have now started looking at problems pointing finger at that and calling it a problem so now that we Good. have started doing it we are hoping we would we would end up and you know our audience on this show who are the leaders of the future we sincerely hope this discussion gives them an insight into what kind of situation they are going to step into and what should they be prepared to face irrespective of how they are going to react to that situation uh, that you know it's 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 a mix of good bad and ugly there when they step out uh, uh, in in this uh, uh, line of work and well i think uh, young people that are your listeners can be the agents of change if you want things to change you have to be a part of that and you have to be take some pride in your country take some pride in yourself take some pride in your uniform and the work you perform um and and seek to be the change that you want so be be what you want the change to be so if you want things to be more professional then you be professional and if everybody does that your next generation of officers if everybody understands that your next generation should be fine and that's where it all start but it's not going to start if we all just um sit and shake our heads about what's happening without asking for change mm -hmm. sure to to totally agreed that cannot agree more with you on that uh, i just have two more things uh, to ask you you know the first one is uh, the, the given the current uh situation uh, or of security threats globally uh, you know 
so you know the, there's a, a lot of terror threats rising on the rise across different regions there are different groups uh, getting radicalized in di- very different directions on very different bases and uh, you know right now even here we are noticing a lot of expensive drugs have come in and younger folks are getting addicted to those expensive drugs so the drug issue is on the rise and then there are so many terror threats on the rise again such that usually it used to be the military forces who would face that kind of threats uh, but then this whole asymmetric warfare has come into the civilian space and right now police officers you know not all the countries have legislation such that all the officers carry a service firearm and they have a license to release their firearm when they see that situation you know the united states police yeah they are they carry guns and they are allowed to open fire when they feel uh, the situation demands so right here Uh, you know it's not the case uh, and, and that is why that shootout incident also uh, hurt us really bad emotionally because you know if you have to carry a gun you will have to apply for it pick it up from the barracks you know so the gun and the ammunition will be handed out to you and after that operation you will have to go back and submit the weapon and then you are off so, you know there are only certain ranks uh, where you know the gun is part of their uniform and that is just a small portion of it so you know Uh, when 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 the police force in such a state that not all officers carry firearms not all officers even when they carry firearm have the authority to release their firearm but then the kind of threats that they are facing these days is very different asymmetric warfare is in the civilian space how do you think the police forces have to evolve uh, against these rising issues okay so um uh, yeah that's a really good question terrorism is on the rise and um as you described asymmetric warfare is uh, is in the civilian space now in victoria we are all armed so when you are when you sign up to go operational you are you sign out a weapon so you don't get your own firearm but you did you do as you described we go to the station we clock on we sign out our equipment so you sign out a firearm you sign out your rounds you sign out a uh, capsicum spray or a taser uh you sign out a baton you uh you have handcuffs that are your own personal handcuffs but um you get operational every day armed and uh once you are a qualified police officer you are qualified to use those weapons and so i don't have to get any special authority to shoot or any of that stuff if i'm um if i'm in a, an incident that requires the use of lethal force then i'm automatically allowed to do that because i'm a qualified police officer on on and sworn police officer um we also then have anti-terrorist groups uh like the special operations group here in Austra- in victoria and they're highly trained anti-terrorist outfit they wear black they are essentially a SWAT uh, what you would see on the movies as a SWAT team highly trained highly dedicated extra equipment extra training extra funding different uniforms and they are designed for anti-terrorism uh, response so and that's mm-hmm. uh, in our police department so they 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 part of Victoria police mm-hmm. um so Yeah. you know that's the way we deal with it mm-hmm. everybody is is armed yeah sure so we do have those kind of special units to handle riots and other uh, anti terrorism units as well but then 
not all officers are armed here as of now uh, and they certainly do not have the license to shoot as well but then that takes me to this quick follow up question you know carrying this firearm you know i am a civilian i do not have i haven't handled a firearm i do not have the license to own one but uh, my my fear is that if i'm going to own a firearm uh, as long as my thinking is in line uh, you know if that is not going to be in line then either i'm going to shoot myself or someone else so this holding a firearm that i'm afraid that could give me a sense of a unreal power and it could coerce me to misuse that power uh, which is essentially an element of my own safety so you know how how, how does this police officer maintain that emotional intelligence that you know this firearm is primarily for safety and that does not make me more powerful than the other person well we we're, we're trained right from the outset that um because australia is not a firearms culture we don't have it's not like the united states not everybody is allowed to have a firearm uh there aren't i don't have a firearm most people that i know don't have guns so um really gun owners are people who would go down to a pistol club and shoot or they are they own a rifle because they do some hunting and that's about it so as a member of the police department the the fact that you've given a firearm is a privilege and is described to you as being um a privilege and the training is such that everybody knows that that firearm does not come out of a holster unless there is potential loss of life and you do not fire your firearm unless you have to and every shot that you fire must be justified and if you're involved in a shooting then they take your firearm from you for a ballistics tests and you are required to then be interviewed about why you use that firearm all of your rounds are counted out of the station in the morning and back into the station in the afternoon and if you're missing any you have to describe why that is so it's very very tightly and and strictly uh monitored but it every officer knows you we don't just draw our firearms there if that's coming out it's a bad situation otherwise it doesn't it just doesn't so that's part of our training it's ingrained in, it's ingrained into our psyche and um it's it's pretty rare for an officer to draw his firearm in my police career i probably drew my firearm in um in the street in action three times so just wasn't required mm -hmm. that that's great to hear and i'd like to add that uh, uh when i was in the us uh, for some time uh, during my studies uh, i i had to visit the social security office uh, both for myself and for my friends uh, and there used to be a police officer deployed there as security uh, and a very uh, uh, elderly person he probably is retired by now and he would every time i go he would say so many years in service i haven't released my firearm yet and he would say that with pride uh, and mm. uh, say it with pride it, it's not it's not a good thing if you can deal with <clears throat> if you can deal with situations without using force then you have that's a win you have won if you have to resort to force then there's possibly um that hasn't been you haven't handled it well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah 
totally agree there. Now the last question is uh, clearly you come uh, uh, with a, a history of service in law enforcement and you train uh, law enforcement agencies and also in other corporate uh, situations. Now, uh, what kind of services do you provide and how can our audience in Australia reach out to you? Uh, so yes, so I run training in um, essentially think about it as personal safety. So I teach people to communicate and manage conflict or manage aggression. I teach them to understand their environment and to be safe in an environment. Um, I teach uh, uh, the law in relation to using force. I teach uh, self-defense, so martial arts. Um, and I teach critical incident management. So if uh, something turns into a severe incident, then I teach organisations to manage those incidents. Uh, I don't work with members of the public, but I work with organisations and I teach their staff. So hospitals and schools and um, businesses, etc. So, and I can be found, uh, look me up on Facebook, just Tony Angus or um, uh, TonyAngus.com is my website. That's T-O-N-Y-A-N-G-U-S dot com. Yeah, sure. Thanks for that. We will uh, add this in the description so they can uh, look you up and reach out to you send when they need. Uh, but again, uh, thanks for taking time to join us uh, and answer these questions so patiently. Uh, I'm sure our audience would have enjoyed uh, gaining these insights. And uh, we strongly believe uh, you know, our audience, you know, is part of the leaders of the future and they would take these insights from uh, you and then they would try to apply this as best as they can when they reach that stage. Thanks again for your time. Terrific. Well, it's, my, it's been my pleasure. And uh, if anybody wants to email me a question or anything, then it's just tony at tonyangus.com. So they can email me directly and I'm happy to answer any questions or come through you, of course. அதிகாரிங்களா <laughs> ஆனால் அங்கே வந்து நின்று பார்த்தா தான் தெரியும் அந்த வலியும் வேதனையும் அப்படிங்கிற எண்ணத்தில் தான் பேசுவாங்க இவர் வந்து அதுக்கு அப்பாற்பட்டு வந்து எது சரி எது நியாயம் எது சட்டத்துக்கு உட்பட்டதுங்கிறத ரொம்ப தெளிவாக சொன்னார் இப்போ நம்ம வந்து இவர்கிட்ட பேசுனதுலேயே தெரியுது நம்ம ஊரில் நடக்கிறதெல்லாம் வந்து அவருக்கு ரொம்ப வித்தியாசமாக இருக்குது இப்படிலாம் இங்கே கிடையவே கிடையாதுங்கிறார் அவர் எவ்வளோ வாய்ப்பு தராரு பாருங்கள் அவங்க காவல்துறையில் அஞ்சு நாள் எட்டு மணி நேரம் வேலை பார்க்கலாமா இல்லை நாலு நாள் பத்து மணி நேரம் வேலை பார்க்கலாமா இல்லை மூணு நாள் பன்னெண்டு மணி நேரம் வேலை பார்க்கலாமா இதுக்கு ஏத்தாப்பில் அந்த ஆண்டுக்கு விடுமுறை எவ்வளோ விடுப்பு எவ்வளோ எடுக்கலாங்கிற கணக்கும் மாறுமா ஒரு ஒரு இதுவும் இருக்கா அதில் அப்பப்போ அவர் எதுவும் சொல்கிறார் நேரம் முன்ன பின்னாக தான் செய்யும் அது வந்து இப்போ ஒன்றும் பெரிய விஷயம் கிடையாது ஒரு பணியில் இறங்கிட்டோம்னா அதை முடிச்சுட்டு தான் போகணும் அப்போ வந்து ஓவர் டைம்லாம் வரும் அது ஒரு இது இல்லை ஆனால் எட்டு மணி நேரம் ஷிஃப்ட்டுனா எட்டு மணி நேரம் ஷிஃப்ட்டு தான் அடுத்து ஆஃபீஸர் வந்துடுவாங்க அப்படிங்கிற சொல்லி அப்போ அவங்க அந்த காவல்துறையில் காவல்துறை அதிகாரிகளுக்கு சாதகமான விதிமுறைகள் இருக்குது அவங்க என்ன மாதிரியான அந்த பனி சூழல்னு ஒன்று இருக்குதுல்ல அந்த ஒர்க் அட்மாஸ்பியருங்கிறது வந்து அவங்களுக்கு அதுக்கு ஏற்றாப்பில் அவங்க கொடுத்து வச்சுருக்காங்க ஏன்னா ரோட்டில் இறங்கி போயிட்டாங்கன்னாக்கா என்ன வேணால் நடக்கலாம் அதை வந்து இவங்க தனியாக தான் பெரும்பாலும் சந்தித்து ஆகணும் அப்படி ஒரு சூழ்நிலையில் இருக்கும்போது முடிஞ்சளவுக்கு காவல்துறை வந்து அவங்கள வந்து 
நல்லா பார்த்துக்குது அப்படின்னு தான் சொல்லணும் அவர் சொன்ன பதிலிருந்து இன்னொன்று வந்து அந்த காசு வாங்குற விஷயத்தான்னு சொன்னார் நீ வந்து ஒரு உடையை நீ அணிஞ்சிட்ட ஒரு சீருடையை நீ போட்டுட்ட இது வந்து இந்த யூனிஃபார்ம் நீ இருக்குன்னா அது நீ அதில் நீ பெருமை கொள்ளணும் நீ வந்து அதை வச்சு பணம் பார்க்கக்கூடாது அப்படி செய்யவே கூடாது இந்த மாதிரிலாம் ஒரு காலத்தில் நடந்துச்சு அவரும் அதை மறுக்கலை நேர்கள் அதுதான் வந்து அவர்கிட்ட பேசுனதில் எனக்கு ரொம்ப பிடிச்சிது ஒரு காலத்துலலாம் அப்படி நடந்துச்சு இப்போலாம் அது எதுவுமே கிடையாது இங்கே அந்த மாதிரி பேச்சுக்கே இடமே கிடையாது அப்படி நான் வந்து காசு வாங்கினேன்னு தெரிஞ்சால் கதை முடிஞ்சுது அதோட ஆள் காலி அதுக்கப்புறமா இதுவும் சொன்னோம் இந்த மாதிரி எனக்கு இவங்களே தெரியும் எங்கள் சித்தப்பாவோட மாமா வந்து அன்னைக்கு எம்எல்ஏ நாங்கள் வந்து எம்பியோட ஒன்று விட்ட தம்பியோட ஒரே பையன் இந்த மாதிரிலாம் இங்கே சொல்லிவிட்டு ரவுடித்தனம் பண்ணிவிட்டு போலீஸ் வந்து பிடிச்சா அவனுங்கள மட்டும் விட்டுறது கேட்குறதுக்கு ஆள் இல்லாமல் இருக்கிறவங்களுக்கும் பிடிச்சி ஒன்றுக்கு ஒம்பது வழக்கு போட்டு விடுறது இப்படிலாம் இருக்கே அப்படின்றதுக்கு நான் வந்து பாராளுமன்ற உறுப்பினரோட சொந்தக்காரன்னு சொன்னாலும் என் மேலே சட்டம் வந்து பாயும் அப்படியே அவங்க அதை கேட்டுட்டு என்னை விட்டாங்கன்னா நான் யார் பேரை சொல்லி வெளில வந்தேனோ அவனுக்கு கெட்ட பேராக போயிடும் இன்றைக்கெல்லாம் அது நடக்கவே நடக்காது அப்படிங்கிறார் இந்த சூழ்நிலை வந்து நம்ம நாட்டில் இன்னும் வரலை நேர்களே ஆனால் இது நம்ம தான் கொண்டு வரணும் ஏன்னா குற்றவாளிகளுக்கு வந்து அவங்க சொந்தத்தில் யாரோ உயர் பதவியில் இருக்கிறாங்கங்கிற ஒரே காரணத்துக்காக அது ஒரு பெரிய தன்னம்பிக்கையை கொடுத்துருது என்னை இவங்க பாதுகாப்பாங்க நான் என்ன வேணால் செய்யலாம் அப்படிங்கிற ஒரு சிந்தனையில் அப்படி பல்வேறு கூட்டங்கள் வந்து திரிய ஆரம்பிச்சிருது அதுவே குற்ற செயல்களில் போய் முடியுது அது பொதுமக்களை வந்து பாதிக்குது அதில் நம்மளும் தான் உள்ளடக்கும் இல்லை எந்த பக்கமாக இருந்தாலும் சரி அதனால் இந்த ஒரு சூழ்நிலை வந்து மாறணும் இதில் வந்து யாரும் போய் எனக்கு இவனை தெரியும் அவனை தெரியும்னு சொல்லவும் கூடாது அப்படி சொல்ல வேண்டிய நிலைக்கு அவங்க தள்ளப்படவும் கூடாது ஒரு சில நேரம் வந்து நம்ம மேலே தப்பு இல்லைன்னாலும் நம்ம மேலே சட்டம் வந்து பாயுது அந்த அதிகாரத்தை வந்து துஷ்பிரயோகம் பண்ணுறாங்கன்னாக்கா எனக்கு பெரிய அதிகாரியை தெரியும்னு சொன்னால் மட்டும்தான் பாதுகாப்பு இருக்குது வேறு வழி கிடையாது ஓ இவங்க பெரிய இடமா போக பேசாமல் அப்படின்னு சொல்லி விடுறது இந்த அப்போ அப்போ அந்த நிலையில் வந்து அது இப்போ காவல்துறையும் நடந்துக்கக்கூடாது நம்மளும் வந்து நமக்கு தெரிஞ்சவங்களாம் பெரியவங்க இருக்கிறாங்கங்கிறத வச்சுக்கிட்டு குற்ற செயலாம் ஈடுபடக்கூடாது இப்போ இது வந்து அந்த அமெரிக்காவை பொறுத்த வரைக்கும் அமெரிக்காங்கிற ஆஸ்திரேலியாவை பொறுத்த வரைக்கும் அவங்க வந்து அந்த 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 காலத்தெல்லாம் கடந்து வந்திருக்காங்க ஆனால் ஏன் கடந்து வந்திருக்காங்கன்னா இதை நம்ம கடந்து போகணும் இந்த சூழ்நிலையை மாற்றணும்னு அவங்க எல்லாருமே நினச்சிருக்காங்க வெவ்வேறு காலகட்டத்தில் அதுனால் அது வந்து சிந்தனை வந்து செயல்பாடாக மாறியிருக்கு அதனால தான் இன்றைக்கி அவர் வந்து இப்படி பேசிக்கிட்டு இருக்கார் அதில் வந்து அது ரொம்ப அருமையாக விளக்குனர் எல்லாம் நீங்கள் வந்து அதை கேட்டிருப்பீங்கன்னு நினைக்கிறேன் தயவு செஞ்சு சிந்தித்து பாருங்கள் காவல்துறை அதிகாரிகளும் நம்மளை மாதிரி மனுஷங்க தான் அவங்களும் வந்து நம்மளை மாதிரி சட்டத்துக்கு உட்பட்டு தான் செயல்படணும் அவங்க வந்து எந்த அளவுக்கு அவங்க அதிகாரத்தை துஷ்பிரயோகம் பண்ணக்கூடாதோ அந்த அளவுக்கு அவங்களுடைய பாதுகாப்புக்கு யாரெல்லாம் பொறுப்போ அவங்க அவங்களுடைய கடமையை செஞ்சாகணும் அப்போ என்னுடைய வேலை எப்படி இருக்குங்கிறத யாரும் கண்டுக்கிறது இல்லை என்னை அவனாவது வந்து அடித்தா எனக்கு பாதுகாப்பு என்னன்னு தெரியாது நான் என் மேலதிகாரி பேச்சை கேட்கலன்னா என் சட்டையை கழட்டிடுவேன் மிரட்டுறான் இதில் பொய் கேஸ் போட்டு என்னை டெர்மினேஷனுங்கிறான் சஸ்பென்ஷனுங்கிறான் பணம் இருக்கிறவங்க தான் அப்புறம் வக்கீல் வச்சு அப்புறம் வழக்கு கொண்டு போய் நீதிமன்றத்திலேருந்து ஆணை பெறு வாங்கி திருப்பி ஸ்டேஷனில் போய் உக்காரணும் இது இவ்வளவும் இருக்குது அப்போ அந்த வசதி இல்லாதவங்க சரி போடான்னு சொல்லி அந்த போலீஸ் வேலை போனது போனது தான் அப்படின்னு சொல்லிட்டு போயிடுறேன் ஒரு சில நேரம் தப்பான வழக்குனால அவங்களுக்கு பதவி உயர்வு வாய்ப்பு போயிடுது சம்பள உயர்வு வாய்ப்பு போயிடுது அவன் வந்து உயிரை பணையை வச்சு வேலை பார்க்குறான் சும்மாவே இங்கே வந்து நீங்கள் வாரத்துக்கு ஒரு வீரப்பனை பிடிச்சாலும் பத்து வருஷத்துக்கு நீங்கள் ஒரே பதவியில் தான் இருப்பீங்க அப்படி தான் விதி இருக்குது இதில் வந்து ஸ்டேஷனில் பாதி பேர் மேலதிகாரிங்க வீட்டில் போய் காய்கறி வாங்கிட்டு இருக்காங்க அவன் வந்து நம்மளுடைய பாதுகாப்புக்காக நம்ம வரி பணத்தில் நம்ம பயிற்சி தந்து ஒரு அதிகாரியை நியமிக்கிறோம் அவங்க வந்து இன்னொரு அதிகாரி வீட்டில் போய் வீட்டு வேலை செஞ்சுக்கிட்டு இருக்கிறதுங்கிறது வந்து எப்பேற்பட்ட கொடுமை 
அது வந்து அவங்களே அதை ஏற்றுக்கிட்டாலும் அது அவர்களுக்கு நடக்கிற ஒரு அநாகரிகமான ஒரு செயல் அது வந்து அவங்கள நம்ம அசிங்கப்படுத்துகிறோங்கிறத நம்ம உணராத வரைக்கும் அவங்க அந்த சூழ்நிலையில் இருக்கிற அதிகாரிகளுக்கு ஒரு பாதுகாப்பு ஒரு விடுதலைங்கிறதே கிடையாது அவங்க வேறு வழியில் ஐயா நான் என்ன பண்ணேன் எனக்கு இதுதான் வேலை நாங்கள் போனது என்னை இங்கே போனாங்க நான் போனேன் என் அதிகாரி இதை செய்கிறாங்க நான் செய்கிறேன் நான் என்ன பண்ணேன் அப்படின்னு தான் அவங்க கைவிரிக்கிற நிலைமையில் இருக்காங்க இதில் என்ன ரொம்ப முக்கியமாக ஒன்று இருக்குதுன்னாக்கா மற்ற துறையிலலாம் வந்து எல்லா அரசு ஊழியர்களும் ஒன்று சேர்ந்து போராட்டம்னு சொல்லிக்கலாம் ஆனால் இந்த காவல்துறை வந்து அந்தமாரி செய்ய முடியாது இருக்கிற போராட்டத்தை தடுக்கிறதுக்கே இவங்க தான் இருக்காங்க இவங்க போராடக்கூடாதுங்கிற ஒரு சூழ்நிலையும் இருக்குது இந்த மாதிரி நிலையில் தான் இந்த காவல்துறை அதிகாரிகள் வந்து பணி செஞ்சுக்கிட்டு இருக்காங்க இதில் வந்து நல்லவனும் இருக்கான் கெட்டவனும் இருக்கான் ரொம்ப மோசமானவனும் இருக்கான் இவங்க அத்தனை பேரையும் ஒன்றா கொண்டு போய் நிறுத்த வேண்டிய ஒன்றா வழி நடத்தி செல்ல வேண்டிய பொறுப்பு யாருக்கு இருக்குன்னா அந்த நிர்வாக பொறுப்பு அந்த உயர் ப பதவியில் இருக்க அந்த அதிகாரிகள்கிட்ட இருக்குது குறிப்பாக நாற்பத்தஞ்சு வயதுக்கு மேற்பட்டவர்கள் தான் அவங்க தான் பெரும்பாலும் அந்த இதில் இருப்பாங்க ஒரு சில சிறு வயது ஆளுங்களும் இருக்காங்க பரிச்சு எழுதி போகிறவங்கன்னு இருப்பாங்களோ அவங்கெல்லாம் இருக்கிறாங்க ஆனால் அதிகமாக அந்த அனுபவம் வாய்ந்த அதிகாரிங்கக்கிட்ட தான் இதை நம்ம எதிர்பார்க்க முடியும் சின்னவங்க சின்ன வயசில் இருக்கிறவங்க வந்து அவங்களுக்கு அந்த அனுபவம் வருதா வரலையாங்கிறது வேறு கதை ஆனால் அவங்க போனதுவே மேல் அதிகாரி பேச்சை மொத்தமாக அப்படியே கேட்க ஆரம்பிச்சிட்றாங்க இதில் வந்து அதனால் எப்படி இருந்தாலும் அந்த பெரிய முடிவுகள் எல்லாமே அந்த வயதான அதிகாரிகள் தான் எடுக்கிற நிலையில் இருக்காங்க அவங்க யாரும் அதை செய்கிற மாதிரி இப்போ தெரியல அந்த நாற்பத்தஞ்சு வயசுக்கு மேலே இருக்கிற அந்த உயர் அதிகாரிகளும் சரி ஆட்சி பொறுப்பில் இருக்கிற ஆட்சியாளர்களும் சரி தேர்தலில் ஜெயிச்சவர்களும் சரி இதை பற்றிலாம் நினைக்கிறாங்களா இப்போ தூத்துக்குடியில் வந்து போய் சுடுறான்ட்டாங்க ஒருத்தன் மஞ்சள் சட்டையை போட்டு வந்து சுடுறான் ஒருத்தனாவது சாகணும்னு சொல்லிக்கிட்டு சுடுறானுங்க பதினேழு வயசு பொண்ணு வாயில் சுட்டானுங்க கடைசியில் அந்த அதிகாரியோட குடும்பத்துடைய புகைப்படம் சமூக வலைத்தளத்தில் பரவப்பட்டுச்சு இது எப்படிப்பட்ட கொடுமை இப்போ வந்து ஆணை கொடுத்த ஆணையை தான் அந்த ஆள் வந்து பின்பற்றினார் அதனால் அந்த ஆளுடைய குடும்பத்துடைய உயிருக்கு ஆபத்துங்கிற சூழ்நிலை வருது இதை வந்து துறை என்ன செஞ்சுது யாருக்கும் தெரியாது ஏதாவது செஞ்சுருந்தால் சந்தோஷம் ஆனால் நம்மளையே நமக்கு எதிராக தூண்டி விடுற நிலையில் தான் இந்த அதிகார வர்க்கத்தில் இருக்கவங்க இருக்காங்க அது வேறு மாற்றம் அதுக்கு வந்து அரசியல் விடுதலை தான் தேவை அது வேறு கதை ஆனால் காவல்துறையை பொறுத்த வரைக்கும் இந்த உயர் பதவியில் இருக்கிற அதிகாரிகள் காவல்துறை அதிகாரிகளுக்கு சாதகமாக சிந்திக்கிற சூழ்நிலையே இப்போ இல்லை அந்த சூழ்நிலையை நம்ம உருவாக்கணும் இதுக்கு தீர்வு என்னென்னா இன்றைக்கி பதினெட்டுலேருந்து இருபத்தி ஐந்து இருபத்தெட்டு வயதுடைய இளைஞர்கள் நாளைக்கு காவல்துறையில் நீங்கள் ஒரு பணியில் சேர்ந்து காவல்துறை அதிகாரியாகி நீ உங்களுக்கு ஒரு ஐம்பது வயசு ஆகும்போது நீங்கள் ஒரு உயர் பதவியில் போய் உக்காரும்போது நீங்கள் இப்போ இவங்க செய்கிற முட்டாள்தனத்தை செய்யாமல் இருந்தாலே போதும் நீங்கள் எதுவும் புதுசாலாம் செய்ய தேவையில்லை இவங்க செய்கிற தப்பை செய்யாமல் இருந்தாவே அதுவே ரொம்ப பெரிய நல்லது ஆனால் அதையும் தாண்டி நீங்கள் நல்லது செய்யணும்னு நினச்சிங்கன்னா உங்களுடைய சேவை இந்த துறைக்கு தேவை சிந்திச்சு பாருங்கள் இந்த பதிவு உங்களுக்கு பிடிச்சிருந்தா தயவு செஞ்சு சமூக வலைத்தளங்களில் இதை பகிர்ந்துக்கோங்க இந்த நிகழ்ச்சி உங்களுக்கு ஏதாவது ஒரு வகையில் உதவிருக்கும்னு நம்புகிறோம் சும்மா ப்ரொடக்ஷனோட பகுத்தறிவு பாட்காஸ்ட் பொறுமையோட கேட்டதுக்கு நன்றி